it's been crazy. This this Romans 8 uh, series has been awesome. I know a lot of people are enjoying it. Uh, you've gotten the devos and you're doing it, uh, which we still have a couple more left. So grab them. To, um, this is the last night you can get them. So grab them on your way out if you don't have them. The first week, though, we talked about responding to the Spirit. Uh, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit helps you live. Got a little Baptocostal in here, but it was okay. You know, we got to um, the second week. We talked about how we're children of God and how we're adopted into God's family as God's children, which means we get all the benefits of that, too, which is the inheritance um, of eternal life and uh, complete satisfaction being in peace with God uh, in the afterlife. And then last week, we talked about, we just said God is for you. I mean, plain and simple. I hope you guys realize this past week. God is for you. No matter what you're suffering through or with, God is for you. Now, this week, this week's pretty cool. Uh, Man, this is the, again, back to Romans 8, the whole chapter is just nothing but encouragement. But to me, this last section of text is so encouraging. It makes you want to scream and shout and let it all out. Sorry, I couldn't resist. But it's like, it's so exciting to know what God is, that, you know, last week we talked about God is for you. This week we're going to really explain what that means because Paul dives right into how nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And that blows my mind. And I want you to think about that statement as we get into it because that is going to be the pinnacle of what we talk about tonight. Because I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I worry. Uh, okay, let me rephrase that. I worry a lot, all right? Um, uh, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you guys are in the same boat as me, but, like, I went to L.A. this past week to visit my brother for the kids' spring break. And so this is the first time the Browns have been, like, on an airplane together as a whole. And so, uh, sorry, that's what I call my family. All right. <laughs> and we even hashtag our trip, Browns in L.A. But anyways, all right. Um, and so Colin and Gr- I did. Colin and Griffin. Colin, oh, it was Agarwal? I did Browns. Annie did Agarwal. All right. Um, and our kids, Colin and Griffin, our two oldest, have been to New York once on a plane, but that was only one time, so they were a little worried. Um, Griffin, I mean, sorry, Mathen and Eden, our two youngest, were like freaking out. They're like, we get to go on a plane! I don't want to go on a plane! We get to go on a plane! Uh, I sound like Rapunzel, you know, even from Tangle. They're like, ah! Ah! It was hilarious. Um, and Annie, Annie hates flying. My wife hates flying with a passion. Like, she will, she, she was like, when we planned this trip, like two months ago, she's like, no. I go, no, what? We're not, we're driving. I'm like, did you realize by the time we get there, we'll turn around and come back? Which means we can't even go. She's like, I know. <laughs> she does not want to fly. And I, we finally convinced her because the kids were like, please, mommy, please, even though we don't want to fly either, but please, you know. So we get on this plane. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden, everything shifts. All right? Eden's, uh, Andy starts freaking out. Eden and Mathen, the two youngest, are like, whoa, this is going to be freaking amazing. I'm like, where'd you learn that word? Or, you know, something like that. And, it, and so we, and we take off, and Mathen's like, yeah, all those cars look like ants. Can I squish them? <laughs> and the whole plane erupts in laughter because they heard that. You know what I mean? It was so funny. And then they're out. It was the right eye flight. So like 10 o'clock at night, they're like out. I'm like, well, that was easy. I was like freaking out myself thinking that everyone was going to start barfing or something. I don't know. I had all the barf bags out. It was crazy. Six barf bags ready. Not, I'm, I would double up for Annie just for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, um, don't tell her I said that even though it's recorded. Um, and so, but like, and so here's what happens. The seatbelt, the fastened seatbelt like goes off. I go to the bathroom. I come back. Everything's fine. I sit down. It comes back on. And I'm like, what is the captain's turned on the fastened seatbelt sign? Uh, we're going to hit some turbulence. Just grab a seat. You'll be fine. Boom. We're like, what was that? Lightning. And then all of a sudden, this place starts shaking like this. Okay, listen. I've flown a lot. I feared for my life at that moment. Annie, we're sitting in the aisles and our kids are by the windows. Annie's turning my hand stark, my brown hand white because she's squeezing it so hard across the aisle. And someone's trying to walk by to get their seats because the seatbelt lights on. She won't let them go. All right, she's like, I'm not letting go of his hand. I'm like, oh, uh, just come on, go under. All right, <laughs> and it's like, it's so like, it's like crazy. And here are the kids. 
And so it's, I'm like, what the heck? And so it, it gets worse and worse, and I'm like, okay, God, I know I'm saved, but I'm still worrying, all right? I know I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to heaven. No, I'm kidding. I know I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm just freaking out. And I, it was hard for me to trust God at that moment. Have you ever been in that point? Like, I feel like we do that in our spiritual life a lot, where we're like, okay, God, I know I'm supposed to believe in you and have faith in you and know that you're going to sustain me and carry me through all this junk that I'm dealing with, but I can't stop worrying. Have you ever been there? It's just me. Okay, so, and so it's, it's like, I, I, and I worry about that. I, I worry about, am I doing the right thing? Am I walking the Christian faith in the right way? Am I making the right decisions? Am I doing what God's will is supposed to be? Uh, and some of you might be like, oh, man, it's in, this, in a, my first year. I need to pick a major. They require me to declare a major, and I'm freaking out. You know, Maybe you're like, dang, that stats test is coming up, and I can't remember these equations. You know what I mean? It's like all this stuff like that. And you're like, you're just wondering, am I doing it right? Am I, am I going to make it? Am I, am I, am I, and some of you, sometimes even I get this, am I really saved? You know what I mean? And we feel like we're separated from God's love at that moment. Don't you feel like that? I mean, you know it here, but here you feel like you're separated from his love, don't you? Where you're like, okay, God, if you're real, you, you have you ever said that statement? You know, God, if you're real, let me get an A on my test. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like, God, if you're real, help my dad out. You know what I mean? He's got to go to surgery. You know, if, if you're, if, if, you know, man, I just got in this accident. If you're a real God, can you just make it all go away? Uh, or, or, or maybe even you're like, okay, I don't feel your presence right now, God. I'm kind of worried. Is, is there a reason? I don't, am, I, am I really with you? Are you even with me? Are you still with me? Or did you just leave all of a sudden? And I don't know why, but I thought your Bible, I thought your word says that you're supposed to stay with me. Do you ever get to that point? That's what Paul is trying to combat in Romans 8 at the end here. This last section is so cool because it's not just the end of Romans 8. It's the end of Romans 1 through 8. Uh, he, he answers all these questions through the first parts of Romans 8, and then this part culminates to the whole end of this argument that's been going on um, for the Christians over there in Rome. Uh, and then it goes into a whole new section. Uh, and so this ending part is so encouraging because it helps us understand that, yeah, we worry, but why? Why should we worry? Or why do we worry? Or why shouldn't we worry? I, it's, it's one of those questions that we constantly have in our heads. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Romans 8. We're going to be in 31 through 39 today. When you got it, say got it. This side's got it. What happened to you guys? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Come on, man. Get those iPhones working. All right. So um, here we go. What? Ready? Verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Okay, this next statement is like, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Amen. Like, that is like scream and shout and cheer. I didn't say it. But all this stuff, you know what I mean? It's like, oh my gosh. But wait, it gets better. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? We quote 31 so much, but 32 is even better to me. He gave up his son. Won't he give us everything else now do you understand where this is coming this is coming after what we talked about last week all about suffering and even though we suffer we know that god is forcing he uses it for our glory and for our good and for his glory and so now paul busts out so what do we say about such wonderful things you're like wait, wait, wait wonderful things that doesn't make sense we just talked about suffering but we always when we think about the previous verses we only think about suffering but if you look at the last verse verse 30 it says this and having chosen them he called them to come to him and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. 
So basically saying, God is pursuing us. That's what he's saying. That's what's wonderful. Is if God is for us, who can be against us? It's not if it, maybe God's for us. He possibly could be. Uh, I hope he is. No, if God is for us, he has chosen us, called us, justified us, and in future will glorify us when we get to glory in heaven. Right? That's these wonderful things. It's not the suffering. It's despite the suffering, it's these wonderful things that are happening. And you know what's even better? Is he's the creator, the sustainer of our lives, of this world, and of the universe. If, if that God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, have you ever felt that? I, that? It takes a lot for me to understand that. Because I'm like, I've got all these visual things, but I don't see God. And so it's so hard for me to understand that. But when you get this, oh my gosh. Can you imagine how you can live? You won't worry. Because nothing is, can, can stand up against you, can it? If God is for you, what can be against us? Nothing. And then, it gets, and then the verse 32 says, since he did not spare even his own son, he gave up everything with his son, Jesus Christ, right? Which is the good news. It's the gospel. He sent his son to die for you, for me, for all of us. Because even though, we were, and even though through our rebellion, we were dead to him. We were dead in our sins. We, we were enemies of God. We sinned against him. He still sent his son, his perfect one and only son, to die for us, which is everything. He's going to give us everything else. He's going to give us anything. He's going to give us everything he wants to give us. He's not going to hold back. And so who can be against us? He's going to protect us. When you're dealing with this junk on campus and you're worrying about Boston and you're worrying about stupid plane flights and you're going to die and you're holding your wife's hand, God is with you. Never forget that. If you are a follower of Christ, God is with you. Nothing can stand against you. Nothing at all can ever be. You can never have to worry about not getting something from God. He stays to his promises. And that's just the first two verses, okay? I'm like, ah, verse 33, here we go. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Get this, no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Man, every time it said for us in these first uh, four verses, I highlighted it, and I've got five times. And this is piggybacking on last week's message to say God is for us. He constantly says, God is for us. God is for us. He gave him, gave him up for us. Um, for, uh, for God himself has given us right standing. For who then will condemn us? No one. Because Jesus Christ died for us. It was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's trying to tell you, listen, stop worrying. God is for us which means everything he does is for our benefit. Yes, it's, it's ultimately to glorify him. It doesn't mean that he's just going to do stuff just to make us look cool. No, no, no. It's to glorify him because we are images, we're created in his image, right? And so everything he does for us reflects back to us because what it say, says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his masterpiece, his prize mantle. And so if, if, if we are his prize and he gave up his son for us, can you imagine the rest of our lives if we get this, how, encouragement, how encouraging we'll be every day? Man, I would sit at my desk and not worry. I would, I, I would stare at my computer and not freak out about some bad news that came about. I don't know about y'all, but I, I had to stop watching the news. You know what I mean? Because, like, everything makes me worry. It's so bad. Every, people dying left and right. You know what I mean? All this stuff like that. People getting sick. People getting hurt. Um, nukes in Korea. I'm like, come on, you know? It's like we need something that tells us to be encouraged instead of being constantly be discouraged, don't we, in this world? Especially at the end of the semester when we're all done. And we're like, next week, I can't wait. You know what I mean? And then finals. Oh, wait. 
Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> that was mean. That was mean. Sorry, sorry. So verse 33. If God has given us right standing in front of him, what else matters? I mean, really, what else matters? When we mess up, we constantly beat ourselves down, don't we? And we're the ones who condemn ourselves. Like it says, even though Christ Jesus doesn't condemn us, we condemn ourselves. Guilt is nothing but us condemning ourselves and focused on who? Ourselves. Isn't that interesting? And so we go back and forth with this guilt game in our, in our heads saying, man, I shouldn't have done that. Man, this thinks I'm worried about messing up now. I'm worried if God is with me. I'm worried if I'm doing the right thing. And who is it focused on? Us. But God has said, and this is a courtroom speak in the Greek. This is like all courtroom speak. This is like no one can bring anything against you. You are acquitted. You are free. There are no more accusations. Satan is a piece of junk. You know what I mean? It's like he can't bring anything against you. Stop listening to that crap. You know what I'm saying? But so many times we, 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 we put our own guilt in our own heads. And here Paul is telling you, listen, no one can bring anything against you no longer. In the eyes of God, you are what? Free. Praise the Lord. But yet so many times we live in this cage, don't we? In this cage of worry. We're like, I'm wondering if I'm doing the right thing. I'm wondering if I'm going out with the person I'm supposed to marry. I'm wondering if I'm supposed to be even taking these dumb classes that I can't even pass. You know what I mean? And we worry, we worry, and we put ourselves in this. Sorry. Some of you are like, dang, that just convicted me. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because I'm done with school. All right, so, and, and so, but you know, and I know you guys are laughing because it's true. You know what I mean? You, 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 you worry about that stuff. I worry about that stuff for you. Every time I sit down and talk with you guys, that's what you're talking about because you're worried about that. And, and God tells you, listen, no one can bring anything against you. Trust in me. Let me cover you with peace and grace and love. Oh, wait, that's later. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so... <laughs> Verse 35, here's what's, man, I need to go back to verse 34. Who then will condemn us because it's so good? No one for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Here it is, pleading for us. So last week we talked about um, how the Holy Spirit pleads for us, right? Is an intercessor for us. Not only is the Holy Spirit pleading for us, so is Christ Jesus. He got double duty going on for y'all. Man, God wants you. God is pursuing you. God will never let you go. Listen to how it says in Hebrews um, chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We've got to run to Jesus and draw close to Jesus. You know, we sang that song like an avalanche for a reason. Do you, are you really covered by his grace? Are you really believing in his love and drawing near to him? Because when you worry, you separate yourself from him, don't you? It feels like that. You don't really, but it feels like that, doesn't it? And you're like, I can't hear you, God. I can't I'm just worried about this stuff. And God's like, it's, t- it's done. Trust me. I will help you with it. But you've got to trust me. But yet we try and take it on on ourselves. Um, and so, you know, God is pretty much saying, stop it. <laughs> He's just like, stop it. You are no longer condemned, as it says by Christ Jesus, who was raised to life for us. You are no longer condemned. Verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry 
or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. So this is basically saying, listen, can anything separate us from God's love? No. I mean, it's a straight no. It, have you ever, do you ever notice, like, sometimes when you have a lot of issues or you have the same problem recurring, sometimes your friends don't listen to you as much? Or you feel like you can't get time with your pastor because he's so busy? Or, or, or you feel like, man, I just keep dealing with problems. I feel like no one likes me. And here's what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter. Jesus loves you no matter what. He will never leave you or forsake you. No, and I love what he says. He, says, he loves he, It doesn't mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No matter what happens in your life, humans will leave. We're, we're fallible creatures. You can't put all your faith in humans. They, they can't show you unconditional love. No matter what happens, nothing can separate you from God's love. What an amazing verse to help you understand that, that nothing you do will mess up God's love for you. Where we feel like we make ourselves guilty and we worry about everything we do, it doesn't mean God loves us less. He loves us the same. And in fact, He loves us more when we run to His arms, don't we? Because we feel His presence and we're, we're totally understanding that He is with us. Listen to how Tim Keller puts it. This is the last question in this section. Verse, he's talking about verses 31 through 35. And really, all the other questions were just other versions of this one. This is really the only thing we need to fear that would really harm us to be separated from the love of Christ, to be left to fend for ourselves in this broken and hurting world. But since that can't happen, why fear anything? Wow, what a statement. Since that can't happen, I mean, it's plain and simple. It says it repeatedly in Scripture. He can, will never be separate from his love. Why fear anything? It's because a lot of times we fear the physical, don't we? But we don't realize how powerful the spiritual is. Now, this next verse is really odd. I, when I first read this, I was like, why would you throw this in here, Paul? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. And so I read that and I was like, okay, I know that's from Psalm. Um, but why would you put that in here? And so I went and looked up the verse. Uh, and it's, it's from Psalm chapter 44. And it's after this verse, the psalmist yells, wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject this forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? Rise up. Help us. Ransom us because of your unfailing love. Do you ever feel like that? Man, sometimes I cry to God saying, God, can't you just help me? Where are you? You know, I'm worrying about this thing. I'm stressed about this thing. I don't know what to do. Where are you? And here's the psalmist calling up to God saying, you are not even here. What is wrong with you, God? Didn't you see your people suffering? It says the psalmist is saying that his people are in need of rescuing because they are being killed every day. And a lot of people say this verse is only for first century Christians because back then, you know, you would be killed because of your faith. That doesn't sound familiar at all today, does it? Hello, look at the underground church. Look what's happening in North India. People, Christians are persecuted by the thousands every day and being killed every day. So this verse is very relevant to us today. And we might not feel that here, but man over there, if you ever go to security level three country, be careful because you can lose your life. Just like we went to Malaysia a couple summers ago, we were not allowed to say we were Christians going into there because we would be killed if they said we were there as Christians. So, of course, I went as a professor with my students. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we got in there. And, man, it's so interesting because so many scholars don't think that verse, and, and when I mean scholars, I don't mean biblical scholars. I mean scholars think that verse 
it's very old school and it has no relevance. But listen to the next verse that comes right after it. And I'm like, how can you not think that this is relevant to us today? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Despite all what things? That Christians are getting killed every day, right? That, they're being, that people are being martyred, that people are being persecuted every day. Despite those things, Paul says the victory is ours in Christ who loves us. Despite people being killed, Paul, you're crazy. Despite being people killed, we have overwhelming victory in Jesus Christ. If you no longer fear for your life, your identity is in what? God alone, right? And you don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about being persecuted. You don't have to worry about being killed. You worry about only Jesus Christ and what he wants. And that peace cures that worrying. Yeah, we're going to worry. We're humans. But can you just imagine having that kind of mindset of not worrying about your life? Okay, and I'm not saying go play Frogger in the road, all right? But, like, can you imagine not having that? <laughs> can you imagine just really, like, saying, I'm yours? And giving your life to Jesus Christ completely. Wow. What a feeling. I, I don't have that. I wish I had that all the time, you know? Um, now, this last section, verses 38 and 39, is pretty much, I feel like it's Paul's testimony of everything he studied in Scripture, everything that he's been through, shipwrecks, famine, beatings, persecution, everything. I feel like this is the culmination of everything he studied when he was uh, killing Christians even. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. Most of us would be done there. He keeps going. It's Paul. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, here it is. If you underline your Bible, please underline this. Nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. He's convinced, isn't he? He's like, I've been through everything, and I still believe nothing can separate our love, my, God's love from my, me. I, I, how can you be so convinced? For I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Okay, so, not a hurricane. No, because I went through a hurricane and I'm here. Okay, um, not, not bad grades, you're right. Not uh, a death in the family, not disease. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. I don't know about you all. But this makes me feel secure in my salvation. Because do you understand, Paul can't say that if you can lose your salvation. He wouldn't say nothing. He would say, as long as I'm good. He would say, as long as I'm following God. As long as I'm walking with Christ. He doesn't say that. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Sorry, I'm in like spit zone mode this morning. I'm glad I was only in the front zone. Um, but it's like, nothing can separate us. From God's love, not even the powers of hell, not even Satan trying to deter you away. Because this makes it all on God. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ, not through our own merits, right? So what do you have to worry about? Messing up? He tells you right now, nothing's going to separate you if you're from a follower of Christ. Speaking to the Christians here. How cool is that? So you're saying, Raul, when I worry, I still have God's love with me. Yes. When I worry, God has not left me. It doesn't mean it's bad. Okay, now we're talking prosperity gospel, right? Where when bad things happen to you, you're not giving enough money to God or you're not doing enough stuff for God. 
We've got to be careful of that, right? That's what I love about Jesus Christ, about what Paul writes here, because it has nothing to do with what we do. God's love is always with us no matter what. When you're in that test stressing about questions, you don't know the answer. God's love is with you. Yeah, that doesn't give you the answer, but at least you know he covers you, and you know that he will help you and guide you when you're dealing with an accident. When you've, I know some of you have been in a couple accidents this semester. God's with you, and he loves you. He doesn't love you any less for, for messing up, for, for doing something stupid, for sinning even. How amazing is that? Um, to me, I feel like that is just the culmination of this whole chapter of what Paul's testimony is of saying, listen, no matter what happens, God's love will never be separated from us. Um, let, me, let me read you this quote. There is absolutely nothing that can ever drive a wedge between the children of God and their heavenly Father. It is true that life contains its full share of hardships, but God is so much at work in all of our circumstances of life to conform those whom he has chosen into the likeness of his dear son. The process is God's. We are his workmanship, as it says in Ephesians 2.10. The process of sanctification is intended to bring us into conformity with the nature of our creator. Although it may at times involve some serious pruning, which is a lot of times the worrying that involves, um, we may be sure that love is at work on our behalf. We are forever united with the one who is perfect love. Don't let anything ever tell you different. Just like we talked about last week, God is for you. He will never leave you. His love is always with you. Never, even though you might not feel his presence, he is with you. So what? What does this have to do with us? What is, thanks, Raul, that doesn't help me. But are you convinced? You know what I mean? Are you convinced like Paul was convinced? Convinced that um, despite our fears for today and our worries about the future, are you convinced? Because if you're not, you're going you're, you're gonna to constantly say, how does this help me? Uh, what do I do about this? You see, you've got to live convinced. Um, God will never leave you. You've got to live that way. Uh, that his love and grace is always with you. Um, so many times I sit at my desk and I ask God to convince me like Paul was convinced here. Have you ever done that? Man, God does some crazy things when that happens. He shows you amazing things when you ask him to convince you. Because he wants you to be convinced, to live convinced. Um, listen to this story. There's this great church father uh, I just found out about. In fact, I didn't realize it, but he's been called the greatest preacher of the early church. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce his name. It's Chrysostom. Has anybody heard of him? Uh, I just found out about him. In fact, I found um, I was reading through the devotional that we've given you guys, um, and this is on day 38. And I ha- you're going to read it again when you do the devotional. Don't worry. It's okay. You'll, you'll forget. Um, but I've got to read you this. It's so good. Ask God to be convinced like Paul was of these beautiful truths. John Chrysostom, eventually patriarch of Constantinople, earned the moniker Golden Mouth because of his eloquent sermons against the lavish excesses of his day. This earned him no favor with Roman authorities. And when, he brought before, and when he was brought before the Roman emperor, he was threatened with banishment if he remained a Christian. You've got to listen to this reply. Listen to what he says. Um, he says, you can't banish me because this world is my father's house. Jesus juke, you know what I mean? It's like, like straight up, man. Straight up. Listen to how the emperor replies. But I will kill you. He's like, no, you can't. <laughs> um, for my life is hid with Christ and God. Dang. And then the emperor says, I will take away your treasures. No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven along with my heart. Golly! Uh, This guy's straight up in front of the emperor. I will drive you away from men and you will have no friends left. No, you can't. 
For I have a friend in heaven from whom I cannot be separated. This is how it ends. This is his last statement to the emperor. I defy you, for there is nothing that you can do to hurt me. I wish I was there. <laughs> Going, oh, joke. <junk. laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what you got now, emperor, you know? And then I'll probably be killed too because he's like, oh, you're a Christian. <laughs> but like, that's living like you're convinced, isn't it? Standing in front of the emperor who can hurt you so bad to the point you want death and then he'll kill you. And he's saying these things. Saying, no, I'm not worried about it. Is that your testimony? I want it to be mine. How cool would that be? To be like standing in front of someone and be like, I'm not worried. My treasure's in heaven. You can take everything you want. That's tough, isn't it? Take my life. I'll be in heaven sitting next to God. What? You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, seriously, can you say that? That's tough, isn't it? But if you live convinced, you don't have to worry. If you live convinced, your faith is set in Christ alone because you are no longer condemned. There's nothing anyone can bring against you. So, what, so, so let me give you some things to how to make this your testimony. Uh, it doesn't mean you'd be like, oh, I'm a perfect Christian now. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, here's some things that will help you when you worry about being separated from the love of God. When we feel convinced that God is not with us or when we, uh, when we don't live like we're convinced. Number one, uh, God is on your side. It's similar to last week, um, but think about it. Verses 31 and 32 say, he gave up his only son for you. What else is compared to that? Nothing. You can make yourself feel guilty all you want, but when you're a disciple of Christ, uh, which means you believe the gospel and you've given your life to Christ, um, as it says in Romans 10, 9, 10, um, then God said you are no longer sinful in his eyes. Wow. That's huge. Okay, but listen. This doesn't mean God for, so if God forgives your sin that you can go on sinning as much as you want, okay? Uh, you know, Romans 6, 1 through 4 talks about saying, should we just keep on sinning so we can have more grace? And Paul's like, no, moron, you know what I mean? That's the Greek. All right. Um, and he's like, no, you can't do that. You've got to understand that you've got to do what First John 1, 9 says. If, you, if he is faithful and just, we will confess, and we'll confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so you've got, to, you've got to understand that you've sinned, reform your life, and trust in Jesus daily. Constantly die to yourself. But understand God is on your side. That's the only way you're going to be able to do that. Number two. Understand that we are not responsible for our spiritual security. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes when I mess up and I feel like I'm separated from God's presence, even though I know I'm not, I just want to slap myself and say, wow, Raul, you are so arrogant to think that the power you have is greater than what God has. Have you ever felt like that? You know, it's like, wake up. You know, we are not responsible for our spiritual security. So imagine hanging from the side of a mountain, and you're like, and you're like hung up by a pickaxe, you know what I mean? Or whatever they're called, I don't know what they're called. And, and you're holding there. If you don't have that, what's going to happen? Pancake, right? You're going to die, fool, all right? You know, that's what's going to happen. And so you've got to rely as God, as, as God, not as a tool, but God is supporting you. God is for you. God is responsible for your spiritual security, not you. Let me read this. Um, Paul is answering the question, who is responsible for your spiritual security? God is. Not what you've done, what you can do, or what you will do. Romans 8 basically explains that the power of God, through his eternal purpose in salvation, 
through Christ's death and resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is what gives you eternal security. All three persons of the Trinity ensure your spiritual security, not you. That's the only way Paul can say nothing can separate us from God's love. Otherwise, you can lose it because it's on your own junk, and we don't even need God if that's the case, right? Number three, we have overwhelming victory because of the gospel. Overwhelming victory is the key word. Uh, NIV puts it as, uh, you, you are more than conquerors. How cool is that? What a, oh, conquer, you know what I mean? How cool is that? We have overwhelming victory because we are more than conquerors. It is the love of Christ that supports and enables the believer to face adversity and to conquer it. Christians are not grim stoics who manage them to muddle through somehow. They are victors who have found from experience that God is ever-present in their trials and that the love of Christ will empower them to overcome all the obstacles of life. Man, if you get this, talk about understanding overwhelming victory. To know when you walk through this campus, you're not worried about Satan bringing something against you, saying, you're not with God. And you get those thoughts in your head saying, you haven't been following God. You're not reading your Bible all the time. You're not constantly praying like the Bible says. You're like, shut your face. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I am, I'm acquitted. I am free. I have overwhelming victory. Get behind me, Satan. You know what I'm saying? And so many times we don't claim that. We don't understand that because we wallow in our guilt, don't we? We've got to stop that and stop worrying about that. So let me read you the last part of um, the thing with uh, Chrysostom. Here's what the author who wrote about him says. Chrysostom understood what Paul wanted the believers in Rome to understand. That once we are liberated from the condemnation of sin and death, we are truly free. I'm going to read that part again. That once we are liberated from the condemnation of sin and death, we are truly free. Nothing else matters. Not geography, not possessions, not relations, uh, not life or death. When we listen to this statement, when we have condemnation and judgment lifted from our shoulders, we escape into the mental, emotional, and spiritual freedom that we were created to live in. Don't you yearn for that? And Paul says we can have it, but yet we keep ourselves away from it, don't we? We think Satan constantly attacks us, but most of the time it's us causing it. And we've got, and so we've got to live. We've got to live convinced, guys. I mean, if you don't get anything else tonight, that's what I want you to get this next week as you get into projects and finals and all stuff. Live convinced. Because when, I don't know about you all, but you've got to live convinced just like Chris Austin was. Um, because then nothing else matters. We need to be convinced that because judgment and condemnation have been lifted from our shoulders, we can stop worrying if we are okay, if God loves us or if God is even with us. Are you there?